you are Locked On Orioles, your daily Baltimore Orioles podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hey there, Orioles fans. Today is Thursday, September 30th, 2021, and welcome back in to the Locked On Orioles podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. As always, I'm your host, Connor Newcomb, and coming up on today's episode, we will recap the Orioles' 6-0 loss to the Boston Red Sox at Camden Yards on Wednesday. The Orioles, listen, they can't play spoiler every single night. And I will recap the game, get you the five things you need to know from the Orioles' L. Then we'll get to some Orioles' roster moves that were actually made before the game back on Tuesday, but wanted to take a closer look at them here on this episode because it includes a prospect who is uh, getting one more shot at the majors before this season ends. Then we will uh, do a little appreciation of Cedric Mullins, who was officially named Most Valuable Oriole on Wednesday, and then we'll also get you ready for the final game of the series between the Orioles and the Red Sox by previewing Thursday's game. But that's all coming up on this episode of the Locked On Orioles podcast, and we want to thank you for making Locked On Orioles your first listen every single day when you open up whatever podcast app you use. Thanks again for making Locked On Orioles that first listen. And today, here on this episode of the pod, we start with an Orioles loss as they fall 6-0 to the Boston Red Sox on Wednesday night at Oriole Park at Camden Yards. That is uh, game two of the series, evens the series at one game apiece. Orioles fall to 51-107 and with the loss. Now, in terms of the rest of the AL wildcard crop, of course, again, am recording during the A's and Mariners game. It is currently 0-0 in the bottom of the third of that one. Uh, but as we speak, the Red Sox beat the Orioles 6-0. Then you had the Blue Jays come back and even that series of Bo Bichette home run in the eighth inning gives the Blue Jays a 6-5 victory over the Yankees on Tuesday night. So as I record this here late on Wednesday night uh, in the East, you have the New York Yankees holding that top wildcard spot by one game over the Boston Red Sox. Then you have Seattle and Toronto each one game back and Oakland four games back. If it's a Seattle win in this game tonight, which you'll know by the time you listen to this, uh, they'll be just a half game back of Boston, and Oakland will be eliminated from the wildcard race. If it's an Oakland win, the A's will stay alive at three and a half back. Seattle will be a game and a half back, and again, Toronto will be that first team out at a game back. But everybody got a little bit closer, it looks like, with the results on Wednesday night. But back in Baltimore, want to get you the five things you need to know from the Orioles' 6 nothing loss to the Red Sox. And the first thing you need to know is that Zach Lowther was, we'll say, passable and okay to solid in his what looks to be final start of the 2021 season at the major league level. Zach Lowther for the Orioles on Wednesday night goes five plus innings, allowing two runs, just one of them earned on eight hits. He struck out four, he didn't walk anybody, and the only earned run he allowed was a solo home run that was hit in the second inning of the game off the bat of J.D. Martinez. He threw 73 pitches and has a 6.67 ERA. Looks like that's the ERA he will end his season with. And listen, I'll take all day the five innings, one earned run from Zach Lowther. He did come back out for the sixth inning uh, to face the the lefty Rafael Devers, who singled off of him to lead off the sixth, and then Lowther was pulled in favor of Eric Handhold, uh, so he did face that one extra batter, uh, who did come around to score, but you know, kind of eventually scored because of an error, so the run was unearned to Lowther. And you know what? The five innings, one run, I'll take it. And, you know, you have to do look at the other side because the reason I'm not saying, oh, this is an amazing, you know, great start from Zach Lowther 
is that you know there were 11 hard hit balls against him in five innings. He kind of got crushed. He got helped by multiple huge double plays that the Orioles turned in this game in multiple innings to kind of really get some base runners off base. They had a line drive double play that turned a first and second nobody out into a two outs and a man on first. They had another one where Kelvin Gutierrez turned a great double play uh, with two on and nobody out. But overall for Lowther, I mean, you know, it was six whiffs in 73 pitches, got four of them on the fastball, two of them on that slider. And, and you know, he threw 51% fastballs, 37 of them. And then it was 13 changeups, 12 sliders, and 11 curveballs. So basically mostly fastballs and an even split between the three of his off-speed pitches. And, you know, the slider was the only one who got whiffs. He had a really good strikeout on the slider of Alex Verdugo for one of his 4Ks. The rest of the strikeouts uh, came with the fastball, two of them swinging on a high fastball, and then one he got Kevin Ploiecki looking on a fastball on the inner half on an 0-2 pitch that Ploiecki, I don't know why he wasn't swinging, but he went down looking on a louder fastball as well. Again, the stuff was solid. He got helped by his defense. He got through five runs. You know, it's all positive stuff, mostly for Lowther to... You know, end his final appearance. The fastball looked good. Uh, the velocity was right where it's been all year, 90.6 on average. It was up to 91. He, he hit 92 a few times on the night with that four-seamer. That's what he's going to max out at. And, uh, you know, the rest of his pitches right around, you know, the, the 80s and 81s and 82s. And, you know, the curveball was a little loopier. And the curveball wasn't exactly the pitch it's been for him some of the season where he's been able to drop it in for a strike at times. But but the slider was good. It had some swing and miss stuff. You know, he got a couple of whiffs on it. He dropped it in the zone. Good good day for the Zach Lowther slider. And overall, again, he got hit hard. He got really lucky in this game, to be honest, to get through five innings, only give up the one earned run. But you'll take it from Lowther. He gave the Orioles a chance to win, whatever that was. And, you know, from how bad some of his starts against Boston were earlier this year, remember those first two starts against the Red Sox were horrendous. So to do this against Boston, even though he got lucky and was hit pretty hard, you take this as a positive. It looks like unless he pitches, you know, maybe in relief on Sunday or something, this is probably it for Zach Lowther's season here in 2021. He ends with an ERA around six and a half. You know, a lot, not a lot of innings. You know, he spent most of his time at AAA for the Orioles and was also rehabbing an injury for a while. Uh, but at least, you know, he ended with back-to-back positive starts. And you will take that if you're Lowther heading into spring training of 2022. Second thing you need to know from this one is that, you know, although the Orioles offense didn't do a lot to help, the, the, the bullpen just didn't do it for the O's tonight. And, and really, you know, the bullpen on Tuesday night was huge in getting the Orioles the win. It was kind of the opposite side of it. And really, I would say after Lowther, the Orioles probably ended up losing. And this was a product of where the game was probably ended up losing the four worst relievers that are in the bullpen right now, or at least the four most unproven relievers who are in the bullpen right now. After Zach Lowther gave up that leadoff single in the sixth, the Orioles went to Eric Hanhold. Next batter was an error. Then J.D. Martinez had a two-run double. Then Hanhold did get a couple of strikeouts to get out of the inning. Orioles then went to Brooks Kriske, who was the one reliever who had a good outing. Kriske came in through a 1-2-3 seventh inning with a strikeout. Looked pretty good doing it. I was, I was definitely impressed by Kriske. Then they went to Connor Wade, uh, who loaded the bases, gave up a two-run single to Alex Verdugo, working the eighth inning, gave up the two runs. And then Spencer Watkins gave up a solo home run to Hunter Renfro in the ninth uh, that made it a 6 nothing game. And again, you know, that's kind of the bottom four in terms of the Oriole bullpen right now and, and, you know, against the Red Sox offense. What more do you expect? But it just wasn't what the Orioles needed out of the pen. Third thing you need to know in this one for the Orioles is that Kelvin Gutierrez, starting to intrigue me a little bit more. And I, I talked about this a bit 
on yesterday's episode because he was, you know, one for one with a single and two walks and making good defensive plays at third base in the game on Tuesday. And, you know, on Wednesday, he goes one for three with a double. And, you know, he uh, he didn't strike out at all, which he's done a lot this season. And, he, you know, he did make one error that, that cost the Orioles in the six, but he also made a couple of really good plays, turned a very, very nice double play early in the game on a ground ball to third, stepped on the bag, threw to first, made a great play. But from what we've seen from Gutierrez since the Orioles claimed him off waivers from the Royals earlier this year, again, 27-year-old, you know, right-handed hitting third baseman, you know, kind of been around a couple systems, just, you know, had a little falling out with the Royals, uh, wasn't really working out there. They DFA'd him, Orioles got him, just for some depth in the system. And and what we've seen from him is, you know, just a guy who is a solid glove who can't really hit, <laughs> to be honest with you. You know, he, he comes over to Baltimore um, in early July and... You know, it just wasn't good. He was hitting 174 in his, his short time in July with the Orioles. In August, he hit 143. And then come September, he's basically become an everyday player. You know, he was basically a part-time player in in July and August, was in AAA for some of that time in Norfolk as well. But, you know, was, was back up with the team in late August and has really been an everyday player since then. You kind of look at these September game logs. There are not many games where Gutierrez hasn't been in there. This is one of the first chances in his career where he's gotten the shot to be an everyday player for an entire month. And you know what? Pretty surprisingly, the offensive numbers have been pretty good for Kelvin Gutierrez. In the month of September now, through play on Wednesday, including the double that he had on Wednesday night, it's it's 83 plate appearances in the month. And listen, he's hitting 280 with a 349 on base and a 749 OPS. This is not the hitter that we thought he was. You know, he's got the, the one home run. He's driven in seven runs. It's 23 strikeouts to seven walks in that time. Uh, he does have four doubles and a triple as well is not exactly a power hitter. You know, he's only slugging 400 in this month. But 83 plate appearances, a 280 average, and a 749 OPS for a guy who looked like he was a no-bat, just a glove guy. If you get that kind of production, plus the glove he gives at third, which I'm going to say this, and it's going to sound crazy, but then when you think about it, it's actually correct. He is the best glove at third by far that the Orioles have had since they traded Manny Machado. And again, that was only in 2018. It's only been three years. And there's been a lot of guys who have gone through that position. But Gutierrez has made plays that look by far the closest thing to Manny Machado over there. And I'm not saying he's Manny Machado defensively because he's not. And he's obviously not Machado offensively. But he's got a really good glove that you can trust at third base. And the Orioles went through a lot of this season with not a good glove there. Remember, they played Michael Franco there for a long time. And it was a average Major League Baseball third base glove at best. Now they got a plus-plus glove over there, and quietly, you know, you watch him, and he doesn't exactly look the part, and he's not hitting screamers off the bat. And when he strikes out, it does look silly. Again, it's still 23 strikeouts and 83 plate appearances. You want that number, obviously, to go down, and when he strikes out, he's sometimes really far from hitting the ball, i got to be honest. And that's probably some of the reason why, you know, I get in my head, many get in their head that he's just not a good hitter, but when you look at these numbers, it's pretty good. And right now, Kelvin Gutierrez, like, he's hitting the baseball. You look up, and all of a sudden, the guy's on a seven-game hitting streak over those last seven games for the Orioles. He's 9 for 21. That's a 429 batting average. You know, in that stretch, he's got two multi-hit games. Like, he's hitting the ball, 
and he has gone in this month of September from nice depth piece for the Orioles to pick up, you know, maybe, you know, they can get him through waivers this offseason, keep him in AAA as a depth guy who plays good defense, to he is now somewhat in the conversation for next year. And I still think the Orioles may DFA him, but if he sticks in the organization, they can get him through waivers, get him on the AAA roster, get him into spring training next year. He's got an outside shot, but he's got a shot going into next season. The fourth thing you need to know from the Orioles' 6-0 loss to the Red Sox is that it just wasn't the Orioles' offense night. No runs, four hits. Uh, you know, they they hit the ball hard sometimes. You know, they, they ended up hitting the ball pretty solid when they made contact, but it didn't work out for them. You know, Austin Hayes and Cedric Mullins each had two hard-hit balls, but they each only had one hit. The Orioles only had four hits, one from, from Mullins, one from Hayes, one from Severino, and one from Gutierrez. I will say, three out of the four hits, Hayes, Mullins, and Gutierrez all were doubles, and then Severino had a single. So they did have three extra base hits and got guys in scoring position a bit, but just couldn't do anything. I mean, Nathan Eovaldi was great. Six scoreless, seven strikeouts for the Red Sox, and then Ryan Brazier, Hansel Robles, and Matt Parnes finished it out with three scoreless, hitless innings, uh, just one base runner that the, the bullpen allowed for the Red Sox. And, you know, the Orioles' offense just... Ivaldi just stifled them. And it's interesting because Ivaldi, you know, he's been the ace. We, we talked about him on, on yesterday's episode with Lauren Campbell of Locked On Red Sox, how good he's been. But you still think of Chris Sale as better than him. But the Orioles have just been much better against lefties than righties this year. And they showed it. They were able to get to Sale on Tuesday night. They just couldn't ever get to Ivaldi on Wednesday night. The one chance they had was in the sixth inning, which ended up being Ivaldi's final inning. The Red Sox had just gotten two in the top of the sixth to extend the lead to 3 nothing. Cedric Mullins doubled. Ryan Mountcastle walked. And there were two on with nobody out. You had the red-hot Hayes coming up. Hayes hit a ball hard to center field, just stayed in the ballpark for the first out. Then Mancini struck out on a tough at-bat. And then Pedro Severino, you know, uh, squared up a ball. Not squared it up, but, you know, he attacked the first pitch in the middle of the plate. Just didn't work out for him. And, you know, that was their inning, and that was really their one chance to get on the board. They didn't do it. And, of course, the Red Sox kind of pulled away at the end. And the fifth and final thing you need to know from this one is pretty quick. You know, I don't think we expected the Orioles to sweep this series. And and now we know they, they haven't swept it. It's, you know, 1-1 tie. He was going to game three here tonight. And, you know, just to say the fifth and final thing you need to know is that just because the Orioles lost one of these games in this series doesn't mean they're not playing spoiler. Heck, they could even lose tonight's game and still be considered a spoiler because if you're the Red Sox and you're the Red Sox fans, you're expecting to sweep a team like the Orioles in, when you're in the middle of this tense of a wild card race. And if you lose even one game, which they've already done, this is already spoiler work from the Orioles. But I will say... They could still also win tonight. That would be very, very nice. But even the one win is a pretty good job by the O's, and you couldn't have expected them to to sweep the series. And I, and I do feel like Lowther versus Eovaldi might have been the most lopsided pitching matchup. So they were going to lose one. Maybe Wednesday night was the one. But, you know, it wasn't just uh, news from Wednesday of the Orioles losing. It was also news from Tuesday that we want to talk about here on this episode. Orioles made some some roster moves before Tuesday's game that he didn't get to on yesterday's episode, but wanted to talk about them on today's pod. It includes Tyler Nevin coming back to the big leagues. Now, we haven't seen him in either game since he got called up, but we should see him at least once or twice before the season ends. We're going to talk about him, some of the other moves, what it means for the guys who are getting moved, the guys on the injured list, what chance they have the rest of this week, and all that coming up after the break. So we'll get to talking about those Orioles roster moves in just a second, but first, got to tell you about Get Upside. Hey, Orioles fans, this is Connor Newcomb with an incredible app everyone who buys gas needs to know about. That's Get Upside. My listeners are making up to 25 cents for every gallon of gas every time they fill up. Just download the free Get Upside app in the App Store or Google Play right now. 
Use promo code BASEBALL and get a bonus 25 cents per gallon on your first fill-up. That's up to 50 cents cash back. Don't pay full price at the pump anymore. Get cash back using GetUpside. Just download the app for free and use promo code BASEBALL to get up to 50 cents per gallon cash back on your first tank. Some people who drive a lot are making as much as two to $300 a month in cash back, and there's no catch. The cash back gets added right to your account. You can cash out anytime to your bank account, PayPal, or an e-gift card for Amazon and other brands. Just download the free GetUpside app and use promo code BASEBALL to get up to 50 cents per gallon cash back on your first tank. That's promo code BASEBALL. Now, despite it being an Orioles loss on Wednesday, they did win the game Tuesday to start this series. But, you know, a big part of that win on Tuesday, as we talked about on yesterday's episode, was Bruce Zimmerman returning from the injured list, pitching well over four innings for the Orioles on Tuesday night. And Zimmerman was part of a flurry of roster moves that the Orioles made before Tuesday's game that we wanted to get to here on today's episode of the pod. And of course, the first move was bringing back Bruce Zimmerman from the 60-day injured list as he came back uh, for the Orioles, was placed back on the 40-man roster with that move and, and pitched well on Tuesday. And we did learn on Wednesday that Zimmerman will start Sunday's game against the Toronto Blue Jays in Toronto, which means he'll get one more start. So he'll actually end up returning and getting two starts to end the season, which is great for Bruce. Again, I don't think he'll go super deep into the game on Sunday, but great to have him back. And he was a big part of the Orioles getting the win over the Red Sox on Tuesday night. But there were a flurry of other moves as well. The Orioles added actually two players to the roster. The first was Bruce Zimmerman, who they added to the 40-man and back to the active roster. And the other was Tyler Nevin, who was already on the Orioles 40-man roster, who was called back up to the active roster on Tuesday. Now, Nevin, of course, 24-year-old first baseman slash corner outfielder, uh, who the Orioles acquired from the Rockies in the Michael Givens trade back at the deadline. Last year, former 38th overall pick of the Rockies in the 2015 draft. And, uh, you know, it's been an interesting year. For Tyler Nevin, because we knew coming into this year, Michael Elias said it last winter after the trade, Nevin was going to be the everyday first baseman and, you know, every day in the lineup, mostly first base, play some outfield for the Norfolk Tides in 2021. And that is what mostly happened for Nevin. Played mostly first, played some left, played some right, played a little third base as well. They tried to keep him versatile down in Norfolk. But really overall, for Nevin, it wasn't fantastic stats for him. You know, he ended up playing in 111 games with the Tide, 401 at-bats. He had a 227 average, a 305 on base, and a 696 OPS. Not the offensive numbers he wanted. Now, the 16 home runs was a career high for him in a season, uh, and it was in less plate appearances than he's had in the past, so the power surge was good. Had 18 doubles. He did have 42 walks uh, to 91 strikeouts, so you know the walk numbers that we've always heard about for Nevin were still pretty much there, especially late in the season, and he still played good defense at four different positions, but overall I still think he probably felt like he had a little bit of a disappointing offensive season, but he still did get you know, a little bit of a chance at the major league level earlier this year did Tyler Nevin actually came up uh, and, and ended up getting in in two games earlier this year. And again, that's not a lot, but uh, it, it had to have been cool for him to get into games. May 29th and 30th came up and played in Chicago against the White Sox, ended up getting his first career hit, which was a double in a one for two, also had a walk in the game on the 29th. Then on the 30th, went 0 for 3 with a strikeout, and then he went right back down to AAA. So that was it, 1 for 5 with a double uh, and a walk and a couple of strikeouts in his two major league games, and he never came back to the big leagues 
until now. And of course, we haven't seen Nevin yet, did not play in either the Tuesday or Wednesday night game against the Red Sox, but he is on the roster, and you know he does have a lot of flexibility. He can play first base, can play right field, can play left field, can play a little third base if you need him to. And you know, with the way the Orioles' outfield is constructed right now, it's pretty much the McKenna, Hayes, and Mullen show, but I wouldn't be surprised to see Nevin uh, probably most likely get a start uh, in either left or right field in one of these final four games of the season. And, you know, it's a cool moment because obviously his dad, Phil Nevin, you know, the former big leaguer, also the third base coach for the Yankees, extra cheering on Tyler Nevin because not only is he cheering on his son getting back to the big leagues, he's cheering on his son Tyler to help the Orioles potentially beat either the Red Sox or the Blue Jays this week, which obviously immensely helps the Yankees where Phil Nevin is a coach at the moment. But, you know, I think for Tyler Nevin, this is a could be a good chance, and we'll see how much he plays in these final two games. It's a little telling that he didn't see the field at, at all in his first two games back up, but, you know, he'll definitely, I would say, get at least one start in the lineup before the year is over. But he's an interesting prospect for the Orioles because, you know, it's nice that he's shown this positional versatility this year where he can play left and right field and play third base, but traditionally he is a first baseman, and he still plays a solid other positions, but he kind of is positionally similar to Ryan Mountcastle and Trey Mancini, where you know they're best at first base, but you, know, you can put him out in the corner outfield if you need to. Now Nevin gives you third base, which is a little better, and he is better than Mancini and Mountcastle in the outfield, which gives him the upper hand, and he's got a better batter's eye than either of those guys too, more of an on-base guy and still has the power. But he's kind of just going to be behind the eight ball as a prospect because even if you know Trey Mancini even at best for Mancini, he plays out his final year with the Orioles in 2022 and then moves on. And there's other scenarios where the Orioles trade him before his contract is up at the end of next year. Even if Mancini's gone, Mountcastle's here for a long time and Nevin will still be behind Mountcastle. So Tyler Nevin is in kind of an interesting spot where there's not really a clear path to the big leagues because he plays the most crowded positions at the big league level for the Orioles. That is first base and that is outfield. You know, at first base, there's Mountcastle and Mancini. And in the outfield, you've got, you know, Mullins, Hayes, Santander, Stewart, McKenna, you know, using Diaz right behind him, Newstrom, Stowers, all these guys. So he really plays the worst positions to be a prospect at the, you know, top part of the, of the minors right now. And I think a lot of that, you know, is just, unfortunate for Nevin, but also a good reason why, you know, he's trying to to get more third base innings under his belt because the Orioles need somebody to, to fill in there and maybe that's where he can help. But, you know, if he does get a chance to start one or two games down the stretch here, you know, it's not going to be a huge sample size for him. But I think at the end, what does show up good for Tyler Nevin is that, you know, with the Orioles needing another outfield type, which I'll talk about in a second, why they do for the last stretch of the season, I think it's good for Tyler Nevin that the Orioles didn't turn to use Neil Diaz, although he hasn't really earned it. Didn't turn to a guy like Newstrom or Stowers just yet. Didn't turn to, you know, more of a of a veteran guy, whoever it may be. And instead turned to Nevin to kind of fill in this role. That that should be a good role for him moving forward. But the reason the Orioles did need an outfielder is because they placed Anthony Santander on the 10-day injury list with a right knee sprain. And we know Santander has basically played, you know, most of this season seemingly with different kinds of injuries and has you know spent some time on the injured list and of course he missed a good chunk of last year with the oblique injury and even though he had the great year last year you know it does look like pretty much this will or will officially end Anthony Santander's 2021 season uh, with this injury and so now we get a chance to kind of evaluate Santander in terms of his 2021 versus his 2020 and they were different in many ways because the production was much better in 2020 albeit 
in a much smaller sample size. But at the end of the day, for Santander, you know, as he goes on the injury list and this year, it's the same kind of thing. His season is ended early by injury once again. And even though he played a lot more this year, still dealt with a lot of injuries. Final numbers, you know, on the season in 2021, he only played in 110 games, 438 plate appearances, ended up with a 241 average, 286 on base, and a 92 WRC+. plus. That is below Major League average as a hitter. The 23% strikeout rate was the worst of his career. The 5.3% walk rate was way down from last year. Uh, he had 18 home runs, 50 RBIs. Uh, just overall, it it was not what you wanted to see from Santander, a 720 OPS. The power was down. We're in a weird spot with Santander because after he wins Most Valuable Oriole in 2020 and he hits so well, you're like, oh, you know, this injury was a really tough spot, but he was looking great. He's a part of the future. And then we're talking about, you know, can the Orioles maximize his value? That was some of the conversation this offseason. Should the Orioles trade Santander after the good 2020 because he may never be better after the shortened sample size? We might be headed in that direction that he may never be better than what we saw in his 37 games in 2020 when he had the 130 WRC+. And his trade value, if the Orioles wanted to go that way this winter because of the outfield logjam and with the, you know, impressive seasons from Stowers and Newstrom ready to knock on the door and guys like Nevin as well, his value is much lower this offseason than it was last offseason. So just a really interesting spot for Santander. We'll talk about this obviously a lot more in the offseason, but his season ends once again with an injury and uh, it's going to be a lot for the Orioles to evaluate whether or not the 26-year-old switch hitting outfielder is truly a part of the Orioles' future. Now, he was not the only guy who was either placed or transferred in terms of the injured list. Keegan Aiken uh, was transferred on the injured list to the 60-day IL. He was on the 10-day IL with a left adductor strain. Uh, we already knew that his season was over, uh, and we you know, talked about it a little bit, but he was transferred to the 60-day IL to make room on the 40-man roster for Bruce Zimmerman. And then one more guy was placed on the injured list, and that was Chris Ellis. Now, remember Ellis's last start, he went three innings, and you know he left with some sort of injury, and we thought you know the Orioles, the way they were talking, basically it seemed like they were going to shut him down for the rest of the year. Well, they have officially done that. That was the final move. They placed Chris Ellis on the 10-day injured list with right shoulder inflammation, which ends his season. And, you know, for the 29-year-old right-hander, the Orioles claimed off waivers from the Rays. It was really good, to be honest, once he came over to Baltimore. In, you know, his time with the Orioles, again, it was just one appearance out of the Rays' bullpen uh, before they DFA'd him and then sent him to the Orioles. But with the Orioles, he made six starts, 25 and a third innings on the season, and uh, the stuff was good. He had a 2.49 ERA on the season, and, uh, you know, the strikeouts weren't really there, only about six per nine. The walks were a little concerning at times, uh, you know, over four per nine. But overall, he kept the ERA down, and he is a really interesting guy to look at. 25 and a third innings, 18 hits, seven runs, 13 walks, and 16 strikeouts, along with two hit batters, three home runs. You'd like the strikeouts to be higher, the walks to be lower. And again, you know, he had an ERA of 249, and he had a FIP of 521, which is supposed to be more of a true ERA depending on, you know, situations, how hard the ball is hit, what your defense is like. And so essentially he got good defense behind him. He got lucky at times, but you still can't look away from a 249 ERA and six starts at the major league level. That's still pretty good. So the peripherals don't look as good for Ellis, but in terms of just the numbers he put up, he's put himself in a spot to compete for and probably get 
an Orioles opening day roster spot, whether that's as a starter or more likely as a reliever going to 2022. But he was an interesting waiver claim, and it worked out. And, and you know, with his season over, obviously an, an injury, it seems, that you know won't affect him heading into next year. Same with, with guys like Santander and, and Aiken, who's getting surgery but should be good uh, for spring training as well. But, you know, just more moves the Orioles had to make as they continue to be the walking wounded here at the end of the season. But one guy who it looks like will get through this entire season without injury is Cedric Mullins. And he has been such uh, just an incredible player for the Orioles this year. And he was rewarded with an award that we knew he was going to get all along. That was Most Valuable Orioles. He was given that award on Wednesday. So coming up after the break, we'll talk a little bit about what that means for Cedric to get that award. And then we'll preview the final game of the series between the Orioles and the Red Sox coming up tonight. So we'll get back to the Orioles talk in just a second, but first got to tell you about betonline.ag. And they're back and better than ever. As all eyes are on the gridiron, as teams are back on the field to start another football season. And as always, BetOnline is your number one spot for all the pro and college football action this year. With a new updated site and interface, even more odds, props, and contests, betonline.ag continues to be the number one source for everything football. Head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today and you can receive a 100% welcome bonus. That's double your initial deposit just for signing up. And don't forget to use that promo code NFL100 and also plug in that promo code LOCKEDON so they know that we sent you. From football, basketball, boxing, right to your favorite Vegas casino games, don't wait to take advantage of all the amazing offers available for the 2021 season. At BetOnline, the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your favorite sports. And you do it at betonline.ag, your online sportsbook experts. And today's episode of the Locked On Orioles podcast is also brought to you by rockauto.com. With the ever-increasing numbers of makes and models, it's now impossible for your local chain auto parts store to stock all the parts you need. Why endure often pointless or seemingly intimidating questioning and wait while the person behind the counter orders the parts on their computer, choosing the only brand their warehouse happens to carry? You have computers and phones with access to rockauto.com at home and in your pocket. You can save time and money when using rockauto.com. They're a family business. They've been serving do-it-yourselfers for over 20 years. And the best part is rockauto.com's prices are reliably low for every single customer. And they have everything you could possibly need, from brake parts to tail lamps, motor oil, and even new carpet. Here's the best part. I know nothing about cars, but I can go to rockauto.com, find what I need quickly and easily, and for a good price. So you can go to rockauto.com right now and see all the parts available for your car or truck. And write Locked On Orioles in their How Did You Hear About Us box so they know that we sent you. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need. rockauto.com well, Cedric Mullins won his first award of 2021 on Wednesday, and you know, hopefully it's the first of many for Cedric Mullins, who will not win the MVP, but you know, I will count it as, a, as an award if he finishes in the top five for AL MVP, which he should at this point. But what Cedric Mullins won was an award that he probably had locked up by, let's say, June, and that was the Most Valuable Oriole Award. He was the unanimous Most Valuable Oriole voted on by all of the media that covers the team. And uh, just what a season it has been for Cedric Mullins. And heading into play on Wednesday, his numbers, 154 games played, 654 plate appearances, the first 30-30 season in Orioles history, 30 home runs, 30 stolen bases, a 297 average, a 367 on base, a 531 slugging, a WRC plus of 141, 
5.6 war for Cedric Mullins. 5.6 war for him. He was worth negative 0.4 war in his previous Major League Baseball experience running through 2018, 2019, and 2020. He is worth 5.6 wins, according to Fangraphs, on the season for the Orioles, the 141 WRC+. I mean, this is kind of hard to get through our heads, but, you know, Adam Jones and Cedric Mullins are, are going to be compared because they're center fielders, the best player on the Orioles at times, and Mullins was set to take over for Jones. We all remember that moment at the end of 2018 when the Orioles called up Mullins for the first time. Jones was still on that awful Orioles team, and, you know, the Orioles basically moved Jones over to right field at the end of the season so Cedric Mullins could play that final month in center field. And, you know, Jones had that moment where he had Mullins run out in the field before him and, and you know, all that, all that good stuff. And uh, there's always going to be the comparison between the two. And you look at this Mullins season, this is one of the best offensive seasons for an Oriole in a while. And this is better than any season Adam Jones has had, both offensively, defensively, whatever you want to call it better than any Adam Jones season in an Oriole uniform. And when you think about it that way, it becomes kind of jarring. Like, And we know this is one season. This is fantastic, fantastic from Cedric Mullins. But, you know, he's 26 and he's been kind of bad before and we are still waiting to see if he can do it again. Then you really start to think about Cedric Mullins. But here's the thing. It's better than any Adam Jones season And if you extrapolate this, and I don't think he's going to be an almost six-win player every single season, be one of the best hitters in baseball every single season, but if you can extrapolate this to him being, I don't know, a three- to four-win player every single season and, you know, keep it going for a while, he could end up with a better career, statistically, than Adam Jones. If he puts together years like this, that's just how it's at, and so deserving of the most valuable Oriole award. And, you know, some second and third place votes went to guys, you know, obviously like John Means and Ryan Mountcastle and Trey Mancini for obvious reasons. But you look at this guy, Cedric Mullins, what a season it was. It's not over yet. You know, he had a double in the game uh, on Wednesday night. He's still got three more games to play for these Baltimore Orioles. Four more games, I should say. Hopefully he's in the lineup for the final four this season. And uh, we'll see what he can do if he can ruin some people's seasons down the stretch here. And, you know, he's going to need to get hot to finish over 300 with the batting average. You know, it's down at 297 now. Um, it's been over 300 most of the year, but that doesn't matter to me. He's got the he's got the 30-30. He's going to get AL MVP votes. I mean, it's been an incredible season for Cedric Mullins. Just what a year. Deserves the most valuable Oriole. The, the, the award we knew he was getting, but he does get it. And... Hopefully this continues for Mullins because what a great guy to to have representing the Orioles and what a great, you know, comeback story for him. And, oh, this is just awesome for Cedric Mullins, the first of hopefully many accolades he gets for this incredible season. But, again, Mullins, as I said, has four more games to try and add on to this great 2021. And the first of those four starts tonight. Orioles and Red Sox, the final of a three-game series coming up at Camden Yards tonight, a 7.05 p.m. Eastern time start and, uh, you know, the Orioles, one more chance to play spoiler against the Red Sox. Could there be an Andino moment in tonight's game? Let's hope there is. But, again, for the Red Sox going in this one, trying to keep themselves in that second AL wildcard spot, they will send the 28-year-old right-hander Nick Pavetta to the mound to make his 30th appearance with the Red Sox this year. In his uh, previous appearances this year, a 4.52 ERA in 149 and a third innings 
on the season for Pavetta. His last start against the Yankees over the weekend, pretty solid. Five and a third, one run, three hits, seven Ks, and no walks. Uh, but the Orioles did get to him a bit when he pitched against Baltimore a couple of weekends ago at Fenway Park. Went just three and two-thirds, allowed three runs on seven hits, struck out three, and walked one in that one. The hope is that the Orioles can get to him in similar fashion again here tonight. Now, he's pitched against the Birds a few other times this season. August 13th at Fenway Park, six innings, one run, three hits, struck out eight and walked two, did allow a home run in that one against the Orioles. And then uh, he had two other starts in Baltimore. Uh, One was on May 9th, where he went six innings, two runs, three hits, two Ks, three walks, and a homer. And then all the way back on April 11th at Camden Yards, six innings, four runs, seven hits, seven Ks, three walks, and a homer. So the Orioles have pretty much always gotten him for the long ball, uh, but we'll see if they can get him out of the game early, get some runs, get to that Red Sox bullpen, try to play spoiler one more time against Boston this season. And on the other side for the Orioles, it'll be the 24-year-old left-hander Alexander Wells, who will make his 11th and final appearance for the Orioles at the big league level this season. So far on the year, a 7.61 ERA in 36 and two-thirds innings for the Aussie left-hander. Wells, his last time out against Texas over the weekend, five innings, three runs, five hits, one K, and one walk. He did pitch against the Red Sox at Fenway Park a couple weekends ago, went five innings, five runs, six hits, three Ks, and one walk for Wells in that one against Boston. Uh, That was his one and only start and appearance against the Red Sox so far this year. So hopefully Wells, again, another young lefty against a lineup with a lot of good veteran right-handed hitters. Hopefully for Wells, he can keep the ball in the ballpark and uh, pitch with confidence with that high fastball, only touching 90, but he can go get some guys, drop that curveball in there, and try to give the Orioles similar to what Zimmerman and Lowther have given the O's in terms of starting pitching in the first two games of this series. And then we will be back with you on the podcast here tomorrow, recapping the third and final game between the Orioles and the Red Sox, getting you the five things you need to know from that one. Then we'll be looking ahead to the Blue Jays series and taking a long look at what the Orioles may need to do to either keep the Blue Jays out of the playoffs this weekend or maybe help the Blue Jays keep the Yankees or Red Sox out of the playoffs. But we will get a good look at the current state of the Jays from Jen Smith, who covers the Blue Jays and is actually uh, a guest co-host on Locked on Blue Jays here for a couple weeks as they make their playoff push. Jen is going to join us on the pod to talk all things Blue Jays as we preview the weekend series that ends the regular season for the Orioles. But that is all coming up on tomorrow's episode. Until then, I'm Connor Newcomb, and this has been the Locked On Orioles podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.